Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. great to be here and uh it's it really is an honor and i appreciate the sarcasm um i uh i remember when i first went to england i I, because i i'm a sarcastic person myself and and i i love i love england i love the i actually do like the weather and i love the sarcasm i feel like i'd fit in well um if it wasn't for the coffee i i think i might move um you would be very welcome anyway i'm gonna turn off my camera over to you Well, it is an honor. Um, I mean, I'm sure I met Colin Barron um, several years ago, and I know he's had just a massive influence on on you guys, and he's had such a massive influence on the churches that we're all a part of and uh, trying to do this thing across the globe, planting churches. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you guys just have to know that you have a, a legend there in Colin. And I've got... Uh, to appreciate getting to know Tim, met him a year ago, and I can tell that if we just got the chance to spend more time, we'd be buds. So uh, great to be with you guys. Uh, someone you may not know is my wife, Rachel. We've been married for, for 21 years, and we are one of those opposites attract couples. I mean, to be honest, uh, from a distance, uh, we're, you know, we're not each other's type. I mean, she's from the creative artistic world of beauty and feelings. I'm from the efficient driven world of productivity and ideas. She's about the present fostering uh, uh, connection. I'm about the future and fostering action. Uh, she likes to, to decorate and have furniture. When we first met, I think I had like a TV tray and a milk crate. I don't know if you guys do TV trays there, but I didn't have much. That's the point. Uh, she's in the design. I'm in the sports. She's in the variety. I'm in the sameness. I mean, when we met, I think she had more, variety in her diet in a week than I had in my entire life. And so from a distance, you know, we're kind of an odd match, you know, because we're not each other's uh, type. And so you might ask the question, well, what changed? Well, um, have you met her? Um, Have you seen her? Have you experienced her? Have you been in her presence? Uh, What changed is I encountered her. And, And now I eat things like quinoa. And uh, now I watch, now I go shopping for furniture and, and now I watch design and baking shows, even when there's a big game on. And sometimes by myself, I remember the first time, you know, she kind of lured me into watching uh, the great British baking show with the old lady and the cheesy guy with a Fu Manchu or whatever that's called, goatee. And uh, yeah, so now I do those things because encounter and here's what's true there are some encounters that are so powerful that they absolutely change your life and and this is the most true when you're talking about an encounter with the living god so what i want to do is i want to take a quick look excuse me here while i do a few things i'm going to take a quick look at isaiah uh, chapter 6 uh, verses 1 through 8 so if you want to take uh go there to isaiah 6 I want to go there. And let me just say this, because this may help some people, especially if you're new to your walk uh, with Christianity. 
Um, you know, because I hear sometimes people say, like, I'm not the Christian type. You know, there's a type that is a Christian and there's a type that follows God, and I'm not that type. This may encourage you. Nobody is God's type. Uh, it says in Romans 3 that none is righteous. No, not one. Not one understands. No one seeks from God. Nobody from a distance looks at God and says, you know what? He's my type. And uh, hey, you know what? We're not God's type either. Um, but what? Okay, so how are they like? two billion people right now who are serving the name of Jesus, worshiping the name of Jesus, albeit in person or over computer like this. Uh, why do people give away a chunk of their income? Why do people serve? Why do people make all these sacrifices? Well, it's not because anybody was born that type. It's that they encountered him. And that's what we're going to read about with Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, this is a very famous passage. If you have kind of any experience in the, in the church world. So I'm just going to read that. I'm just going to simply read about this encounter, pull out a few things, and then give a big implication uh, for our life together. It says in Isaiah 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, here's why that's significant. In the ancient Near East, uh, the length of your robe determined your size of kingdom, or let me say another way, um, it, it signaled how big your kingdom was. So if you had a very large kingdom, uh, you had a very long robe. If you had a small kingdom, you had a very short train to your robe. What's being communicated here when it says that God's robe filled the entire uh, temple is that there is absolutely nobody's there's there's absolutely no room for anyone else's authority in the presence of God. He is the main thing. He is the main co course. There is no side dishes. I, I went to a restaurant about a year ago, and I don't know if this is going to get me in trouble with people from the UK, but I had a 32 ounce steak, and uh, it didn't come with a side dish because there was no room for a side dish. And when, it, when God comes into your life, there, there's no room for a side dish. There's no room for anything else. He is uh, all-powerful, all authority. So anyway, so the train of a rope, so that you've got the presence of God filling the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. So uh, seraphim uh, were angels. Seraph means burning one, and I am just makes it the plural form. So what this group of, uh, this, is, this is a group of burning beings that we call angels. And it says each one had six wings and he covered two. Uh, with two, he covered his face and two, he covered his feet and two, he flew. Uh, which is a different picture when we, typical th when we typically think of angels. When you and I think of angels, we think of like a naked baby with a, you know, a harp and a, you know, but, you know, like on a cloud. We think of something fun and, you know, soft. Uh, but that's not the kind of angels that we see. We see burning beings. And that's actually not the kind of angels that we see in the Bible. In fact, a little fun Bible trivia here. The, the two most common phrases in the Bible said by angels are fear not and get up. Two most common phrases by angels in the Bible are fear not and get up. Here's the point. Angels are scary. And that is the scene that Isaiah finds himself in. He finds himself in a place where there's no room for any other authority, and there are these burning beings saying to one another, holy, 
holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now, that holy, holy, holy is pretty significant. Um, you know, the Bible often repeats, if you, if you study kind of, you know, the Hebrew language at all, um, which I, I'm not necessarily saying that you do that or anyone does that, you know, who has time for that, but uh, the Bible often repeats itself. So if you read the New Testament, you know, Jesus would say very, ver verily, verily, or truly, truly. And, um, and the reason why it does that is because, you know, the English language, you know, we have like, I don't know, a million words. And so if we want to describe something, we have all kinds of choices. We could say something is really big. We can say it's gigantic. We can say it's enormous. We can combine the two words. We can say it's ginormous. We have lots of lots of options in describing stuff. When the Bible, in the Hebrew language, there's only like six or 8,000 words. So in order for them to add emphasis, they would repeat something twice. Uh, they repeat the word so they can add emphasis. So instead of saying it's really big, they would say it's, it's big, big. And um, so that, that's pretty common in the Bible for something to be re repeated twice. But there's only one place in the entire Bible where a word is repeated, not twice, but three times. And you're looking at it. It says of God that he is holy, holy, holy. Now, that's really important to understand because what, what the scriptures are trying to communicate is the thing about God. What makes God God? It didn't, the, the Bible never says that God is power, 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 even though he is very, very powerful. Uh, you know, it says in Psalms that his word twists the trees of Lebanon, these great big trees. Just with his word, they just twist. He is powerful. But that's not what the, how the Bible says is the main thing about God. It, doesn't ne it never says about God that he is love, 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 even though he is man. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Uh, greater love has no man than a man who lays down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life, not just for his friends, but his enemies. God is love. God doesn't just do loving things, but he is the pool from which love comes from. And yet, and yet the Bible doesn't say he is love, love, love. What makes God, God, the main thing about God is that he is holy, holy, holy. Now, you and I mess that word up because we just think moral purity. And of course, you know, morality may be a part of it, but what the word really means, it means to be separate. It means to be different. It means to be unique. It means set apart. Um, it means to be holy. It means to be different. It means to be wholly other. It means to be not like anything else. And so when the Bible says that God is holy, 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 what the Bible wants you to know what the angels, what these burning beings are saying to one another is he is not like us. He is not like us. He is not like us. That's what they're saying. That's what the Bible wants us to know. The Bible wants to know that we are small and he is big, that we are low and he is high, that he is great and we are not, that he is good and we are not. There is this gap, and Isaiah feels this gap, okay? So we're talking about having an encounter with the real God, not the God that we make up, not the God that we would prefer, but like the real God, the God that can contradict you, the God can, that can contradict you, and you want God to contradict you, by the way. Uh, one of my favorite verses is John, 1 John uh, 3, where in verse 20, I think it is, it says that 
when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Um, that God is greater than our conscience when we hate ourselves. And we need a God to contradict us when we, uh, when we hate ourselves. And this is a God, this, this is a God who can change us. And so God, so, so Isaiah is, feels this gap that he is holy, that he is other. Uh, he's in this scene and he feels like he's a goner. So he says, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. I, and so Isaiah recognizes this big gap. Now watch this. He says, it says that these angels take a burning coal and touch that part of Isaiah, and this is important, of expressed sinfulness. So it touches, he confesses, my lips are sinful. I confess my lips are sinful. The sin is atoned for. And uh, he thinks that he's a goner. But he thinks that God is coming down on him and going to give him judgment. But paradoxically, God comes down on him and gives him grace. And um, Isaiah experiences his grace. And this is why he says, um, here I am, send me. So God is expressing his heart in here. He says, you know, who will go for me? Because I, I have his heart for the world. I have his heart for the nations. We'll get that here in a minute. And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And here's what's true about people. This is what's true about me. It's what's true about you, I would presume, is that we approach God's presence wanting God to be available to us. But when we encounter God's presence, we want to be available to him. So how do you know that you encounter God? I, I don't know if this phrase gets thrown around in your circles, uh, but, you know, people say, you know, I, you know, I felt God's presence and I want to be in God's presence and I just want to encounter him. Let's encounter him. And, you know, you know, was God here today? And here's what it, here's how, you know, is that you may come to him wanting him to be available to you, but you know that you leave God's presence when you want to be made, when you want to make yourself available to him. And that's what Isaiah does. Isaiah doesn't encounter a God he made up, he encountered the real God of the Bible, who is holy, holy, holy. And he felt like judgment was going to come down on him. But instead of judgment coming down upon him, he experienced his grace. And that experience led him to say, here I am, send me. Now you and I, we're in the same boat, except we have more revelation than Isaiah is. Is that when we consider that Jesus died for sin. You see, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Jesus died, but he didn't die for our sin. Excuse me, he didn't die for his sin. He died for our sin. Wow, I almost said something uh, that would have never got me invited back ever, ever again. Uh, <laughs> excuse me, he died for our sin. And so when we contemplate the cross, when we contemplate the fact that, no, we're not good people, uh, we're not loving. We're not great. We're not good. There's no one good but God. No one seeks after God. Uh, when we contemplate that and we realize the, the, the true nature of our sins, and instead of God coming down upon us, grace is upon us, we'll, we'll say, here I am, send me, because that's God's heart. See, God says, who will go for me? You see, that's what God wants to do. God is a father. He's after a family of every tribe, tongue, of all nations. He wants to know who's going to go and help him find his lost kids. That's what God is about. He is on this massive search and rescue mission, and he wants to capture us in that mission. 
He wants us to not go and judge the world, avoid the world, or become like the world, but he wants to use us to reach the world and transform the world. That's why he says, who will go for me? And so when we encounter God, we, we want to encounter God, and we know that encountering him, he's going to change our agenda. That's how we know that we've really encountered him. That's his heart. His heart is to send us out to go and find his lost kids all over the world, even during COVID. So here's a little fun thing for you. In Mark 1.17, it says, and Jesus said, you probably heard this statement before. It says, and Jesus had said, follow me. And you and I will make you, I mean, if you didn't know anything about the Bible and you were to fill the blank, fill that blank with a word, you know, you might think like Jesus, if we follow Jesus, we might become like, you know, Bible experts. If we follow Jesus, we might become really moral people. You know, if we follow Jesus, we may, you know, do a lot of good deeds. But it's that Jesus says, if you follow me, here's what I want to do. I want to make you a fisher of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Because that is the heart of God. We see the heart of God. We see the, the sending of Jesus to the earth. It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that is lost. Um, and, we, and we know that this is a big deal in the Bible. In, in Luke 15, Jesus tells a parable about uh, lost things. He's not okay with lost things. He talks about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And in each parable, he's saying that we all, things that are important to us, uh, it really matters to us when we lose those things. And who doesn't, you know, search for a sheep? Who doesn't search for a coin? Who doesn't search for a son? And that's God's heart. And and that's what God wants to do with us, that, God, that he's got lost kids all over the world. I mean, we've all had that. If you're a parent, you may have, you probably had this experience, you know, where you're in, you know, the shopping, you know, you're shopping, you know, you got your list and you're going to the grocery store and you're, you know, you're all focused on your list. You've got your, you know, two or three kids at your side and, you know, you're looking at your list and all of a sudden, like, where's Tommy? Tommy's gone. So you look in the next row, the next row, you can't find Tommy. You go out, you see a security guard, hey, have you seen my son? And he just seems uninterested. And you just go and go and go. You would not stop until you found Tommy. There's a friend of mine, um, leads a church. He had this happen in his church where uh, some parents, uh, this son was troubled and he just took off. And for months, um, they looked. I mean, they went all, they spent all their money. They, they hired private investigators. They went in some, some gnarly places um, in some of our cities looking for their son. You know, Thanksgiving goes around, which you guys don't celebrate, but Christmas you do celebrate. That comes around. They didn't celebrate Christmas that year. Uh, they were totally focused on finding their lost son. And anybody who was connected to their heart was looking for their son with them. And, and that's what... <laughs> that's what God's after. God's looking for lost, his lost kids all over the world. And he wants to capture up you and I, those of us who encounter him. He wants to take away our agenda. And he wants to, he, he wants to give us a new agenda, which has to do with seeking, saving lost. Forty times it says in the Gospels, as the Father has sent me, as the Father has sent me. And then he says, so I send you. 
And as a Christian, we are to live as sent ones, as an apostolic people, as a sent people, not as some, you know, Christian to do, but because we have the heart of God, because we've really experienced God, we've really captured what it means to know the living God. So what does this look like? Well, it looks a lot different pre-COVID than post-COVID. And so I don't want to give you a bunch of principles, but basically it means, it just means taking responsibility for the people in your life. You know, the people in your neighborhood, the people you work with, it just means to begin to take responsibility for the people of your life. And I just want to encourage you that even in COVID, even in lockdown, um, you know, we can still be fruitful. In fact, you may not know this, but the apostle Paul, who is, by the way, very, was very effective with the gospel. He spent five years of his prime ministry life in prison. And he said in 2 Timothy 2.9, I am bound with change as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. And he says in Philippians 1.12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, which was that he was imprisoned, has really served to advance the gospel. And what Paul did in Philippi, this is um, the prison that he was in, is that he preached the whole, uh, uh, the whole Roman guard upwards of 600 soldiers. And so he took advantage of being, you know, shelter in place uh, in his home, not able to physically move around, but he didn't let that stop him. And it doesn't have to stop either. But we can still take responsibility for the people in our life. And that will happen to the degree that we encounter God. So here's what I want to do. I just want to end my time with you. First of all, by thanking you for allowing me to, to share with you God's word. It is an honor to share God's word. It's an honor uh, to be with you. But I just want to pray with you that you would encounter the real living God. I want, you, I want you to think about the fact that God's presence that was once lethal to you is now for you. And the Bible says that if he's for you, who could be against you? And I know that sharing your faith is tough. I know that living for him is tough. I know that all those things are, are daunting. Uh, but God is with you and God is for you. God, I just thank you for um, this time that we have. I thank you, Lord, for technology. I thank you, Lord, that you have allowed this to happen. And I just wanna pray for all my brothers and sisters uh, who are watching, who are listening. I just pray that right now that they would have an encounter with you. Uh, not the God that we make up, but the real God of the Bible. Lord, I just pray for an experience of your grace that melts our heart, that warms our heart, that causes us to say, oh, I, I came to you, Lord Jesus, because I had this work issue. I came to you, Lord Jesus, because I had this financial issue. I came to you, Lord Jesus, because I had this health issue. And he loves to hear all those. But I came to you wanting you to do something for me. But now I find myself in your presence. I want to make myself available to you. So here I am, Lord Jesus. Send me. Send me out into my workplace. Send me out into my neighborhood. Send me wherever you go, because I, I want to be your mouthpiece. I want to be a witness to your grace that you have been so good to show me. I pray these things in your name. Amen.